Hello people. Welcome to the community of the Growth Mindset podcast. Guys, if you are a first time listener, don't forget to subscribe on whichever platform you're listening from so that you don't miss on more interesting episodes coming up in following weeks. And for our daily listeners, here we are again with a new episode where we will interview another interesting personality from a unique industry and understand how they were able to accomplish this great level of success. Remember, this is a podcast where we learn easy, practical methods and tips that we can implement in our daily lives from the very best and the most successful people known today. Because as we all know, success leaves clues. And we the people having the growth mindset will use these clues to create a better, more fulfilling and a successful life. So, let the growth begin. Sabrina, thank you so much for taking your time out and uh, joining us on the Growth Mindset Podcast. It is a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much. Thanks awesome. for having me. My pleasure. So, Sabrina, for uh, people who might not know you today, right, uh, you're the first time coming on the Growth Mindset Podcast. So, we'd like to go ahead and, you know, just give a quick introduction about yourself, your background, where you're from and what you do. Perfect. Yeah, I am from Vancouver, Canada. I work uh, in the Fortune 500 world for Fleur Corporation and have for the last 14 years uh, in the mining industry as well as the energy and chemical industry. So I've kind of navigated two different business lines within the company. Um, I'm currently a project manager uh, working on an engineering construction project within mm -hmm. Canada now. And about a year ago, so exactly actually a year ago, I decided to uh, find, found a company called Work Lessons 101. Um, Work Lessons 101 targets basically teaching uh, the essential work lessons to help people launch successful careers. So we primarily focus, I work with all um, levels of for the professions from entry level to senior executives. Um, I just find a lot of the new grads that I work with that at the education system nowadays just is not equipping uh, new grads and new professionals with the proper tools to be successful in their career. So mm -hmm. I primarily focus on teaching them those essential lessons. Like, for example, they teach us in school to, you need a network, you know, build a network. It's going to help your career, but they fail to tell you how to do it. Like they don't <laughs> tell you, they tell you everything in theory, but don't teach you practical exercises exactly. or steps and executing and maneuvering to get there. Like, for example, like, oh, you know, you're going to deal with a lot of confrontation in your career, but they, they don't teach you how to like communicate effectively and have that salesmanship and how to sell your credentials to an employer so you can even get a good job out of school. So I find that degree um, in that theory-based education is just not terribly practical in the work yeah. environment. So I try to fill that missing gap that I find critical now because the new grads that I'm getting, they're super ambitious and they have all the right energy and all the right intentions, but they just are a little green and they just need that extra little bit of coaching and that extra little bit of mentorship to kind of set them up. Um, because you have such a gift at the beginning of your career, you have time and you've got your youth and your health and the energy and generally not a lot of responsibilities like a spouse, children, mortgage. Yes. So this is the time to really take advantage of it. And if you could have proper coaching and proper mentorship with practical, useful advice that teaches you step-by-step, step, gives you actionable steps, then it makes you a lot more successful over the long run of your career. 
100%. Now, you, you mentioned a very important point where, you know, people are not basically thought as to how to execute or, you know, if somebody says, you know, you should build a network, that's fine. Okay. Sounding to build a network works great, but how do you build it? Now, for people who are coming out of college, who want to start their own, you know, uh, let's say get into a job or work for a company or an organization, how can they identify which organization is the right kind of organizations for them? Okay, so the first thing, you always control yourself. You don't control any other variable, but you control yourself. So that's where you start. Figure hmm. out what you actually want. And what I mean by that is, for example, if you're an open-minded, innovative thinker, then you shouldn't be looking at the old school blue chip corporations that are very bureaucratic and very procedure based. That probably won't be the right fit for you. So analyze what you actually want and the type of personality you are, because you need a company culture that fits your personality. So you can have the environment that allows you the flexibility that you need to excel in. That's where I first start. So if, a lot of youngsters, because again, as I said earlier, that they don't have a lot of responsibility per se in their life. Yes. They might have a student loan they need to pay off and so forth. So they need to make money. Um, but they, you know, maybe the best choice for the next couple of years right out of school is to work for a startup, make less money, but surround yourself with like-minded, open-minded people. So you become who you associate with. Take yep. that skill, dedicate yourself to lifelong learning and really dedicate yourself to your goals. And when you're early in your career, long-term goals are a little bit out there. They need to become more refined, but you do mm. need to have really good, clear, short-term goals because essentially in the long run, they feed your long-term goals. So for the next two years, dedicate yourself to learning skills, collect skills, because at the end of the day, when you have experience and skills, no one can ever take that away from you. No employer, if you're with the wrong company right out of school, but you have all these skills, there's nothing they can do to stop you from leaving and taking your experience and skill set with you. That's why I say start with yourself because it's a hundred percent in your control. So I always label all that under establish your professional credibility hmm. because the one thing I've noticed with a lot of new grads or people, maybe five years uh, experience and less is they have this illusion that the company that they work for should value them. They should value them, but you need to bring value to an organization for them to care about your opinion. Mm -hmm. So I see this more with North America or first world youngsters than say second and third world, because they just live in this like be yourself culture and they almost are naive. You mm -hmm. got to think it some wise from an employer's point of view. If you work for me, that's a little different. I'm a little, I'm definitely more empathetic and, um, a different type of leader yeah. than the people who run corporate America. Um, mm -hmm. You need to earn them to care about your opinion. Like, I hate to say that because I know we're taught <laughs> school to say True. like, Oh yeah, my opinion matters. Everybody's opinion of course matters. Exactly. If we're just talking about right and wrong, but I can assure you corporate leaders, a good chunk of them don't give a rat's ass what you think. <laughs> so you prove yourself till you bring value to their organization. If you have an idea, who cares? Can you sell the idea? Yeah. Can you make it practical? Can you implement it into the organization to save them money, uh, to help their clients, to give more money? Can you bring in new accounts with this idea? This is how you sell it. This is what they care about. You having an idea means nothing. Everyone has an idea. True. 
can you make it practical? And that's kind of like everything in life. <laughs> but you know, that's where I would start is with you and kind of figure out the environment that you feel you need to excel in. And don't be so hard on yourself if you pick the wrong choice. Learning mm. what you don't want to do is just as important as learning what you do. Because when you're a clean slate, you don't necessarily know where to start. So the biggest exactly. thing is to take a first step. And if you get the wrong organization, then take that lesson, reflect on it, readjust and go find a better organization and start to network outside of your work. LinkedIn's mm. perfect for that. You know, if you want a job, you think at Microsoft or Google or Facebook or any of the big tech companies or even like companies like where I work for, Fleur, which is an engineering company, you know, everybody says who they work for on LinkedIn. You can start networking with entry yeah. level employees at the same level and just start to communicate through direct messaging and eventually ask them for advice and work and build that trust in because if you can get yourself a recommendation already in the organization, you work in sales. What are the exactly. odds of you getting a sales if you cold call versus having a recommendation internally into the company? Like one hundred percent. Yeah, the chances <laughs> just increase tenfold. You know. Yeah, a lot, cool. lot of people just don't understand that it's a journey and it takes long-term thinking. Networking takes long-term thinking, but you can do it short-term in the sense of every week I'm going to add one contact in the industry that I'm pursuing or three or four, whatever number sustainable to keep for you, given the time you can dedicate to it and do it. And over a year, all of a sudden you have over a hundred contacts. Exactly. You know, maybe so, you don't even need that. Maybe you need 25 and you know, 10 ends up being duds. It didn't work out. You didn't click, but 15 might. And that's how you kind of, you baby steps, but yeah. over an entire year, they on, they add up to be a leap in my opinion. Correct. And now you, you've made some, you know, very important points, like instance, understanding the environment uh, as to what that kind of environment a company has, how you can sell your idea. So I want to break that down into pieces so that people can digest that and understand that. Now talking about the environment, what are some questions people can ask maybe the hiring managers when they're interviewing, because that's the best time, right? To understand what kind of culture they have, what is the expectations on them? What are the hiring managers expecting out of them? So if you could say, what are some questions that, you know, uh, the new joiners can ask or new people who are interviewing for a job can ask the hiring managers that can help them kind of understand what kind of environment they have that could help, uh, you know, these guys. Two things I would actually ask for the environment. So if the environment, uh, you can actually ask the hiring manager or the recruiter to define what they think the company culture is. So mm. ask them to do it in their own words and do they, and then study their words. Do they just give you like a pocket rehearse, like just split out the vision statement or the core mm. values of the company that you can just get off the website? Or do they tell you something that's like heartfelt and sincere? Um, mm -hmm. If the interview is going well, you can even potentially ask if you could get a tour of the office. And if you do get it, or if they even offer a tour of your office, always say yes. And take a look around the company to see, you know, is there spots available to collaborate among mm. staff? Is there like common work areas? Do you, is it really super quiet? How do people decorate their desk? You know, like even if you're walking through to a boardroom for the interview, like a look, do people have plants at their desk? Do people have family pictures? If everything's like black and white, kind of standard, everyone's suit, tie, no one's talking, you're, you're probably dealing with a company that's super strict and mm. that doesn't value collaboration um, and is very hierarchy based too, right? So that's mm. another question you can ask in the interview is what's the reporting structure? 
you know, organizations that have a flat reporting structure tend to be more collaborative, team oriented and less title based. You know, if it's a top down, it's very, I can tell you that, you know, there's going to be vice presidents, senior vice presidents, executive vice presidents, executives, directors, and then da, 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 da. Yeah. And very structured. Don't get me wrong. Some organizations need to be structured. I work in construction. We have safety protocol. We need to be strict. We yeah. can't be fluffy about that. People die in that case. Exactly. So there are, and you know, you, you, if you're going to go into construction, you should work for a company that's ethical like that. So you need to, obviously it's all subjective, but if you're mm. looking for an environment, so if a company, for example, preaches collaboration and teamwork on their website for their core values, which everybody who's going for an interview should at a minimum be knowing the company's vision statement, mission statement, core values right off their mm. website, and then slip that terminology into your interview answers. So you look like you're aligned with the recruiter. Nice. But, you know, like if they don't live by it, if their environment is collaboration, but there's no collaborating spots for it and everyone's super quiet, we're already mm. starting to probably see an unwritten rule in the organization. You're already starting to see something they preach the public, but don't execute behind closed doors. Makes Every sense. company has those things. So if you can see it just in the interview, it's not a good sign. Interesting. <laughs> it means they're not making very much of an effort to hide it. Mm. Interesting. Now, you know, uh, Sabrina, there are also a lot of people who want to start their own business these days just because they think it's cool. The word entrepreneur sounds amazing. Everybody's doing it. But what do you think? Who should start a business and who shouldn't? Because not everybody's one uh, for being an entrepreneur. No. And I, I'm, so I'm going to kind of contradict myself in this answer. So mm -hmm. yeah, entrepreneur is like the new buzzword nowadays. <laughs> exactly everyone's like innovation 10 years ago. I was like, Oh, I'm so innovative. And now I'm like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. And you know, yeah. like, I roll like back in my day, I, I'm a millennial, so I'm not that old, but um, like, we used to call them business owners. <laughs> so um, there's, so I think everyone should have alternate revenue streams for mm. one. I am kind of against this culture. Like I actually like Gary Vee, but I do take mm -hmm. some of his stuff with a grain of salt because I think he's feeding a lot of fluff down a lot of people's delusional brains. Mm -hmm. um, being an entrepreneur, first and foremost, is super freaking tough. Get used yep. to working 60 hour weeks. If you're not 100%. willing to work the weekend, first off, you're not willing to work the weekend, you're not an entrepreneur. No offense. True. Like True. Th those first two years of being a business owner, oh my God, you're working your ass off if you want yep. to be profitable and successful. So first off, you want to ask yourself, how much time do you want to dedicate to this? How resilient are you? You will lose money most likely or fail at the beginning as you learn and gain experience. And if you're right out of school, you don't have experience. So you're going to even learn it harder. So get mentors and get people. The T scene a lot with the Gen Z's is that they all click together. They don't have older people in their clicks because they think they're like not useful. And so yeah. like, I guess that's a bit of every generation kind of thinks they know it all, but um, you know, until they get a little of experience and then realize how foolish that attitude is, but I'm seeing it in the way their companies run. And I'm like, man, I would get a baby boomer in there if you could <laughs> stop brushing them off. Yeah. A lot of them don't understand technology, but a lot do, but you know what True. they do bring to the table is experience. 100%. Great. You have a great logistic tracking system. Do you have any idea how to implement it or what problems it's going to solve? And, older person that has faced those problems will be able to yep. help you and mentor you 
and put a proper business pitch together. Like I've seen a lot of amateur pitches to me from entrepreneurs. They don't understand how to put marketing together. They don't understand how to put a proposal together. Like they have spelling and grammar errors in their like proposal. You want me to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into your business and you can't even spell correctly? Get lost. You're, you're on a pipe dream. Like exactly. live in reality. So the people who need to be entrepreneurs versus the people who need, it comes down to experience. How do you want to gain that experience? Are you, hmm. you're resilient and you're tough and you're willing to put the work in it? You could probably go into entrepreneurship right out of school or right out of high school and get going because you will get up every time you fall. If you're someone who hasn't quite built that resilience and has no experience, there is no harm going to work for someone else temporarily yep. to gain that experience and knowledge that you can bring to your work. So I think at the end of the day, if you're not willing to do the work and you're not willing to hit the hard knocks, then you're not an entrepreneur and that's fine. There's no shame in exactly. that. Like I worked for a decade for a corporation and I've learned so much. I worked in business development. I learned in engineering. I knew how to become a minority in a male dominated industry. Like I, all these stuff, all this stuff has taught me how to sell and be credible as a professional that has helped me build my business. So I did the school route, then worked for an employer, then became an entrepreneur. That was my route hmm. to work for me. Yep. But I, you do have that gift of time, health, energy when you're younger. So if I meet a youngster that has the work ethic and the resilience, I would mm. actually be like Gary Vee. I would encourage him to go the mm. edu uh, entrepreneurial route. But that's why I'm not a big Gary Vee fan anymore because I, I think he just gives a lot of easy answers to mm. people that don't understand the work that goes into being an entrepreneur yep. and the discipline. Yep. 100%. The motivation that you need to do through rejection. And I think a lot of people who are dropping out of like, you know, you see these clips of 16 year olds dropping out of school and you're like, school's not for everyone, but you don't even have high school. <laughs> like, yeah. like school's outdated. I'm all about it. That's why I started work lessons 101. I actually right. want to work with universities and bring in practical uh, work related, like bring in how to build networks, how to find mentors, how to write a resume, how to interview prep, how to sell yourself, how to sell your credentials. I want to work with them to teach new grads and their students these practical lessons to help them. But dropping out of school, what if you fail miserably five, six years down the road? You have nothing to fall back on. Yep. Exactly. And then you're, you're like, uh, like, I don't think you need university, especially if you're American, it's like a hundred thousand dollar debt and you have no idea yep. what you want, you want to do going True. into debt. Debt's not glorious. There's nothing True. glorious about going into debt if you don't know what you want to do. So gain some experience, take a gap year, but just the like, like I've met people who dropped out of high school and there's exceptions. Everyone's like, well, Zuckerberg, for example, is not an exception. Elon Musk's highly educated. He's got like advanced degrees, yep. but Zuckerberg, yeah, dropped out of Harvard. But he got into Harvard, for God's sakes, and <laughs> he was like a wicked computer programmer. So yep. he had skills. So True. like I've met 16-year-olds who dropped out of school that have no skills. Like they don't mm. actually bring anything to the table. Zutterberg or Bill Gates or Steve Jobs dedicated thousands of hours to programming. They had like fantastic skills and their businesses were already semi-successful before they ever dropped out of school. So Zutterberg, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, all had backup plans. What does yep. that tell you? And then the Google guys had like, were, they met when they were doing their PhDs. So yep. again, 
anyone can be an entrepreneur if they're willing to put the work in it, but not everyone's a Steve Jobs and not everyone's an Elon Musk. Not everyone's that smart. Like they're, they're geniuses, these people. Like I'm not a genius. I'm smart, but I'm not a genius. I don't have like that really wicked top 1% skill. Like Zuckerberg was an amazing programmer. He programmed yep. him, him and his friends programmed Facebook out of their dorm room. <laughs> exactly. like, you're talking about brilliant people here so exactly. like, i don't want to discourage like youngsters for going for their dreams because i don't want to be a dream killer but you got to live in reality they, these guys are exceptions yeah i mean like you put some really important points out there right wherein you've mentioned that these guys had skills they were passionate about what they wanted to that's why they they put their work hours even though you know uh, for example let's say mark zuckerberg's story he, there were times when he actually did not used to go and attend classes, but he was really smart at what he used to do. He was, he was actually one of the toppers while he was uh, in the college as well. And then he had his backup plans. He was already, you know, he had developed different programs for different organizations. These guys knew their calling and they had skills to back them up. But mm -hmm. as I said, right, entrepreneur, just the word these days sounds really cool. And people like, oh my God, this is, this is what I want to do. But then after some time, they realize they don't have a backup plan. They've dropped out of college. And then they have to settle for something which, something which is way more, way more lesser than that. Or yeah, what add a spouse, add a kid, add bills. Exactly. You, the biggest thing is, you, you nailed it, have a plan. You, yep. you don't even need really a backup plan when you're 20, but you need a plan to be successful. Exactly. <laughs> and most people are just like, I'm just going to be an entrepreneur. And then they, they don't actually, like, Amazon's a great example. They ended up picking a very small niche. They started with books. Books, yeah. And they owned books and then they expanded. So that was their plan. Just like Apple, they had the iPod because they knew they wanted to launch the iPhone. So they had this like multiple level mm. plan. So when I talk to entrepreneurs and they say entrepreneurs, I one of my first questions I ask them, what's your plan? What are you selling? What services are you offering? And then two years, what services do you want to offer? Like, how far have you thought this through? Mm. And that's how you can tell the ones who are probably going to be successful versus the ones who are just don't live in reality. Yeah. Like, it, you know, there's people who want to be musicians, but don't know an instrument, like the same type of thing. Like there's people who live in cloud nine and then there's the people who live slightly in cloud nine, but have one foot on the ground yep. and they, they play that field and they're very smart and they're very dedicated to learning and educating themselves. They're always reading. One of my girlfriends just finished high school. She, you know, I kind of was in French immersion. So a lot of the, the kids that I graduated high school went all off. A couple did like uh, trades, you know, one started a carpenter business. All of us are actually pretty successful 15 years later after high school, but a couple of them dropped, like, didn't drop out. They all, we all graduated high school, but they didn't do university. Mm -hmm. One's an entrepreneur and he runs like four different companies and he got into the pharmaceutical industry. He's a millionaire now. And mm -hmm. then the other one is not quite a millionaire yet, but it's going to be. And she's a producer in movies and stuff like that. And she started as an intern at 18 years old and just worked herself out because her industry doesn't actually need a lot of education. Mm -hmm. um, yep. There's a lot of self-taught graphic designers and a lot of talented people, like just like Zutterberg, he was talented mm. as a programmer. So there's a lot of industries that don't need formal education, but they have a plan. Like she, I don't think she realized she was going to be a big producer at 18, but she put the time in and yeah. I remember her working 80, hundred hour weeks wow. on, on set on this. Now she runs a whole studio. Amazing. She still works pretty crazy hours. She doesn't have to work like that. She has assistants and a lot of people helping her now, but 
she put that time in and then she worked herself up and she has a skill set. So now she's a producer. She knows everything about animation that you could possibly know. She's an mm. expert and wow. she didn't become an expert at 18. She came an exactly. expert all the way around two when she had over 10 years experience in it, but she's still pretty young because she started at 18. So I think people need to tap into their passion and need to dedicate it, but they need to recognize at some point it becomes work. Working 80 hour weeks for years yep. is not sustainable. Yep. And, and at one point it's going to feel like work. So don't get me wrong. There's a lot of rewarding in it and not every day. It's called work for a reason, not yep. playtime. So, you know, like it's, it's gonna, you need to toughen up, but makes sense. I, 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 hmm. I think it's a real shame if you pick an industry you don't like, or you don't enjoy, or you're doing it for your parents or you're doing it for whatever reason you think you should be doing it, but you don't like it. I think if the days that you don't like outnumber the days that you do like, that is a huge red flag. And if you're young, do not like, you should never know ignore it at any age. But if you're young, I'm telling you right now, you have time, get out of it put a plan together immediately and get the hell out of it because life is so short. I have buried six friends before the age of 30. Wow. One of them was an extremely talented musician. He was pursuing his dream and he was just full of life. The other one too, I worked in the engineering industry with, he was a rock climber and he actually passed away in a rock climbing accident, but he was just living life. And so if you're unfortunate and you're one of these unlucky people who don't get to live their bright future, you know, you got to think sometimes that way. I know it's kind of morbid, but sometimes you got to think that life is actually truly precious and you might not have it tomorrow. So if you're miserable today and that's the majority of the time, then you need to make a change. I can tell you that every day at work's not wicked, yeah. but if your numbers are outnumbered, like if you're not happy, you shouldn't be ignoring it. I know COVID right now has put this like weird thing because like there's no job security, but at the end of the day, there's never any job security. Not really. So exactly. <laughs> like exactly. each and every one of us is replaceable to some degree. So when it comes to our jobs, so you, you know, if you're younger and you're listening to this and you truly want to be an entrepreneur and you're willing to put the time in it, you got to build that resilience. You got to get those skills and that experience, have that plan but keep going at it. I don't know. I failed quite a few times um, hmm. in my first decade of my career. It ended up, some of them actually turned out to be the be best things that ever happened to me. Right. So, you know, it depends. I failed maybe at the beginning, but the story wasn't in by the time exactly. it ended, it was probably my biggest game career game changer I've ever had, which is my stint. I went to Mongolia, right. My first nine months in Mongolia sucked. Hmm. Oh my God. It sucked every day. <laughs> it was like a challenge. No one wanted to work with me as the only female at sight. And then eventually I put in my dues. I paid it. I all of a sudden came up with a couple of really big solutions that solved some big problems, saved the client a lot of money. All of a sudden hmm. I proved myself. Everybody wanted to be on my team. It almost happened overnight, but it took yeah. nine months to get there. One hundred percent. Yeah. Makes, makes total sense to me. Now you understand Sabrina, right? Today, uh, People, the working class professional versus the business owners, the ratio is anywhere between 90 and 10 or 95 to 5. That's, that's, that's the ratio. Majority, almost maximum number of people have a job, right? Uh, now, what is your advice to people? Uh, if I could ask you, let's say, three top reasons. The reason I'm asking you this is because a lot of people these days are talking about being an entrepreneur and just hustling, which is kind of pushing down people who have a 9 to 5 job. So if you could give three solid advices or three practical tips or three reasons, let's say three reasons that why a job, a nine to five job is okay. 
and actually is better than being an entrepreneur? Uh, it gives you a lot more um, work-life balance, working nine to five. It gives you a little bit more security when your paycheck's coming, depending on what you do. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a little peace of mind if you're someone that needs security. Uh, there's no shame in that. Like I grew up in a household that was always struggling with money. So I'm someone who needs security and I'm not ashamed of it. It, Money stress kills me. I have a very hard time dealing with it and handling it. So I'm someone that always has like a six month rainy day fund. So I've put these protocols in place to prevent my anxiety and worry to get the best of me. Hmm. I don't even fight them. I don't like, I just accept the fact that I need security. I don't try to change that. That is part of who I am. And so nine to five provides a lot more work-life balance. I can assure you, because I'm doing the nine to five right now and the entrepreneur, I like yes. work 12 hour days always. It's sometimes it's just nice to like turn it off and just watch a movie and not worry about it. I had that completely in my nine to five life. And I have to admit, if I'm being hundred percent honest, I kind of miss it. Um, you know, that, that's, I would say one big reason is if that's the type of person like you want, um, when you, I have a one-year-old son and, you know, just being present in the moment, um, I'm struggling with that sometimes because when you're an entrepreneur and you run your own, your business, you're never done. There's always something you should be doing. So when you do the nine to five life, I don't know, I could just turn it off. (laughs) So that's reason number two. Um, yeah there's no shame in it and you exactly. know what for all those people i'm so sick of the judgment like i do the nine to five and entrepreneur and i just don't i don't personally care what people do like it's none of my business for one and then second it's not my life and not my journey and i don't know what they're going through so stop judging people for first who has a nine to five job you do not know what they're going through like they might have medical bills or aging parents they need to provide for and that nine to five provides that steady paycheck that they desperately need in their life so i find a lot of people like that you know what some people just don't want it some people just aren't that ambitious you other things they they don't want to turn their hobbies into work because i married a business owner who loves scuba diving and turned it into a business and i can assure you at some point because he did it for a decade at some point it became a job third reason for the nine to five is you keep your hobbies and your work separate they don't actually ever need to overlap because not everyone actually needs it i actually like going to work so I come home and value my family more. Like when I was on mat leave, I first nine months didn't miss work at all. I was like super like digging the whole being home with my baby. Mm-hmm. And then around 10 months, I started to slightly miss that interaction with my coworkers, that intellectual stimulation. Yeah. And the one thing I noticed, I never miss my son. So when I go to work, I miss my son. I miss him. And when I come home, I'm like, oh my God, I just can't wait to see him. And I don't get that when I'm home all the time. So that's me. So again, it's just trying to put things into perspective that that nine to five is, can be fantastic, a fantastic escape. Um, So when I first started my career, the one thing I told myself, and I still live by this standard is when I wake up in the morning, I want to want to go to work. And at Mm. the end of the day, I want to want to come home. And if I can c- capture that nearly daily, then I am living the happy life that I want. And sometimes when you work for yourself, you don't ever get that division. Some people who are super disciplined and super mentally strong can totally put that mm. phone away, divide it, 
you know, and escape yeah. from it. I would say the majority of us struggle with it. And, um, you know, yeah, the nine to five, mind you, the nine to five, if you go into the corporate executive route, you bring that, they own you, they give you your phone, they expect to call you, you travel, you're on the road half the year. Things I said is more for the, the, the starter entry level because there is no such thing as nine to five once you hit executive <laughs> level at any exactly. company. You, they, yep. When I say they own you, I don't necessarily mean that in a negative way, but you're, but yeah, when they're spending you, they're spending that much amount of money on you, they're giving you cars, they're giving you house, they're giving you phone, they're giving you business class flight tickets, five-star hotels, then obviously you they will call in the middle of the night if there is something important and then you have to answer the call rather than saying, no, this is my you know, off hours. I've I met people that. that I gotta, like I live in Canada, I've met people within 24 hours notice like they got to go to Russia wow. to hit a presentation for a billion dollar client. Exactly. Like this is billions of do- billions. We're talking about billions of dollars. So like that level, most of those guys or women make more money than most of the entrepreneurs I know. So yep. um, it also, you need to know, and don't get me wrong, you shouldn't be doing a lot of this for money because the one thing I wanted to say is when I wrote my book and before I started writing my book, I actually interviewed dozens and dozens of executive to CEO levels. Mm-hmm. And I asked them many, many questions. But the last question I asked each and every one of them in my interviews was what's their greatest regret? And I didn't ask them what their greatest work regret is or life regret, just what their greatest regret was. And it was the most telling um, of all the questions and not one, not one out of the dozens and dozens and dozens of executives and CEOs that I interviewed gave a work regret. So I think that is very telling. Each and every single one of them gave a personal regret. Some were very specific and like, I miss my kid's graduation or I miss my kid's baseball like game where he got scouted or, you know, very specific answers. But a lot of them gave broad answers like the deterioration of their marriage or, you know, not spending enough time in general with their family or not going on that vacation or it was all around poor prioritizations Hmm. so of their values because each and every day things come up in the nine to five world or the entrepreneur world they're not actually that different and how you choose to spend your time day to day feeds that year feeds your life so if every day you address the urgent matters and not address the important matters and the important matters are your values and your priorities so if you say you want to spend time with your family and that's why you have a nine-to-five job and not an entrepreneur but yet you spend 12 hours a day at the office you're not living to your values and your priorities and that will combine over time to be a regret and that's what i've learned from these interviews is that you need to put effort in your choices and you need to set those boundaries when you're brand new into the work you can work like you have the time you don't have a lot of the family commitments um not that you should i i spent a lot of time backpacking in europe in my 20s and man that changed my perspective on everything so enjoy life at all age stages um you know because i can't just drop work for six weeks and go backpacking now so you know you do have some luxuries at at different phases in your life so it's unfortunately in that when you're young you have no money you have time but yeah. no money and <laughs> when you're my age <laughs> when you're in your 30s and you're successful in your career you got money but no time so uh, exactly. um you know it's a balance but this is where you need to make these conscious efforts or you're going to be these people that i interview that are on paper are some of the most successful people that i've ever met but they aren't successful because they're not happy and they have regrets. And so it's so easy to say, live life to the fullest when you're young. That actually might be 
improper advice once you get older because if you just like party every night and every weekend you're not putting the time into the work but if you put all your time into work then you're not gonna have time to make those relationships that are life-changing so it's a balance and you need to know what you want and that changes as you get older i can assure you as a new mom two years ago my response to that question would be different than it is today exactly and that is perfectly normal so don't yeah. ever hold yourself or be too hard on yourself if you have regrets because of decisions you did for the right time at the right time and then with experience you later learned the regrets fix them yeah don't, don't ignore it and don't be so hard on yourself forgive yourself we all been there like everyone makes, makes these, this idea of regret as this horrible negative thing but regret leads to learning and growth and then they don't turn out to be if you change your attitude and change your mindset. They don't end up being regrets over the long life. But interviewing those executives was like life changing for me because, you know, I don't know how you, yeah, so you have like $3 million sitting in the bank, but your kid won't even return your phone call. Wow, yeah. So maybe you shouldn't be getting on those planes to Russia. Maybe that executive True. vice president title isn't, you know, maybe that's your ego getting the best of you. Um, or you have big college tuitions because a lot of like a lot of these people were American and they have like huge huge bills like healthcare bills and education bills that Canadians like myself just don't have, mm-hmm. and so you know we pay more in taxes and so forth and so yeah. on. So it all, all works out around you know. But at the end of the day, you're like, how much money is enough? And maybe you should ask yourself sometimes those questions when you get yeah. really successful because I find people who get really successful this happened to me when I started getting a ton of promotions back to back is that you just say yes 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 and you never stop and ask yourself whether you want it that that's like, a oh. that's a very important question I believe uh, that one should ask and also the points that you've mentioned you know finding the work-life balance through first identifying your values placing your values first as to what exactly do you want to do? Like, you know, do you just want to, you know, have a nine to five job and then come back home, spend the time with your family and then making decisions based on those values, because that would keep you in perspective in life as to what is really important to you in life. Do you just want to become successful or do you also want to make sure that you spend time with your family? And then just end of the day, right? If you are making a decision, it's a choice end of the day. If you make a decision, you're obviously going to miss out on something else. And that's a choice that we have to make every single day, every single second, right? We are having an interview here. You could be doing something else, right? We're missing out on something. We're doing something else. So that's a choice that I think all of us individually have to make to make sure that, you know, all of us at the end of the day, accept what we've done and learn from those mistakes, as you said, right? Those regrets to make sure we could correct our mistakes. Maybe go back to our kids, you know, if you're not talking to them and then you just tell them that this is what it was, you know, but now I'm here. Now I'm here to, correct those things. So that's a very good and you know, important advice that you've, you've brought out. Uh, I want to ask you this now, since you've been working for over a decade now, Sabrina, right? You've, you've had multiple locations. Uh, you've, you work at multiple locations, different projects. Now you've also come across times when, you know, you had to deal with bosses, like, you know, some bosses that were really bad, horrible bosses uh, who were you know, surrounded by ego or dominating uh, nature. So how can people you know, manage uh, when they're surrounded or have a a bad boss? What can they do? This one's a really common one. I actually have an entire chapter in my book dedicated to (laughs) bad bosses and how to Mm -hmm. maneuver around a bad boss. So step one, so I'll summarize it really quickly. Step one, Mm -hmm. you need to identify them as an ineffective leader. And a lot of people just like, well, that's easy. They're not. It isn't that easy. You need to identify why they're an ineffective leader. Mm -hmm. 
So is it a lack of training? Is it something that you can actually help them with? Or are they narcissistic? Are they power driven people? So, you know, if it's a lack of training and just like a lack of skill, then you can help them. They're bad because their organization isn't helping them. So they're mm. a part of the problem that you're having is that they got promoted maybe too quickly or, um, you know, the organization doesn't care. The organization's like cultural is the actual stem of the poor leadership problem. So you need to identify the reason for the poor leadership or the bad boss. So if it's a bad boss because they're narcissistic or they want control or, you know, they're essentially just a jerk, um, you know, those particular things is, sometimes there is no help in them. They are, that is their personality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you need to kind of judge how much time you want to dedicate to it. So at the end of the day, if they're impacting your mental health and physical health, and you're not going to get promoted under them, you need to maneuver around them. And this comes down to the organization you're in, what type of hierarchy system you're in. So in North America, they preach this open door policy. And I can assure you many organizations preach yep. it, but yep. don't live by it. So you need to be aware of the rules and unwritten rules surrounded this open door policy because it actually is going to help you put a plan together to maneuver around a bad boss. So my usual go-to, so I've been blocked for two promotions um, because I was really good at the position I was in. I was essentially being pigeon held. So what mm. I ended up doing is I found a role within the organization that can be blocked if I got nominated. It was a super high potential role in business development. So I worked behind the scenes and networked with the people that would help me get a nomination and help make the decision to get me in it. And that's exactly what I did to get out of my position and get around my boss without burning the bridge. So mm. that is one method you can do uh, that takes some deep digging and networking. So it took me over nine months to get out of the position. So it's wow. not something okay. that happened overnight. Um, if you can't, another one is, is to connect with your boss's boss. Mm -hmm. Another way is to make your results highly visible. So mm -hmm. a lot of bad bosses take the credit for their people's work and they're like locked behind closed doors and no one gets to see what they're doing. So the way to get around this is CCing people on emails, mention it in group conversation. Mm -hmm. Oh, did you get the report I sent you? How did you like it? Like little subtle things that mm -hmm. your boss might be slightly pissed off you're doing, but it's not obvious what you're doing. The biggest thing you have to be super discreet. Don't tell anyone of your plan because your plan is to maneuver around them. And if your boss learns of your plan, they're going to interfere with it. So you yep. got to keep it discreet and quiet and don't tell anyone unless they're absolutely trustworthy. Um, and that's how you have to do it. You have to have a step by step plan. Sometimes just helping your boss and getting your boss to like you while you're secretly like working <laughs> relationship with their boss's boss and secretly doing this makes you so visible, almost untouchable because you're protected by larger influencers in the company that are supporters of yours. Yeah. So your boss is going to get on your bandwagon. At the end of the mm. day, you want to make yourself not an easy target. So if you're being bullied at work, whoever's bullying you has labeled you an easy target. Um, you need to stick up for yourself and you need to be very creative and strategic about how to that turn that around or how to work away. If you can't do any of that and it's against your mental health and your physical health and it's impacting you, um, you know, start looking for another job. You might have to leave the organization. You should be looking though at your organization as a whole when you have a bad boss and is your bad boss kind of like a one-off 
or is it hmm. common in your, your organization? Because if it's common in your organization, doing a lateral move to a different department is not going to help you. Exactly. Yeah. So you're going to larger picture, you know, right now during COVID, you might not have the opportunity because it's not an employee's market right now. There's a lot of layoffs, yeah. a lot of high unemployment. So you need to kind of like, so you, for temporary purposes, you might have to put coping mechanisms to deal with this bad boss, which I hate giving that advice to people. But if you have bills to pay and you don't have any alternative, you quitting's not an option for you potentially because mm -hmm. um, you know if quitting is an option and you have security then and it's really impacting you maybe that is the best choice for you to leave immediately um, and if you can't mm -hmm. do that and if you work in a, a country with proper labor laws and your boss is like harassing you man you gotta report that and you gotta start Definitely. tracking it you gotta yep. either record voice messages like and i mean it like if they're but if they're getting you into their office and closing the door and like belittle you and yelling you record that <laughs> you yeah, got a true. phone you record that you record emails you do it like you'd be sneaky they're jerks yeah. they're in the wrong not you you protect yourself and yeah you damn well record it get them fired like jesus i'm fired get them reported so hr can't side with them because sometimes True. if it's a high, high person, the organization wants to side with them um, because they bring value or bring clients yeah. in it, but you need to protect. So you're not, you can't be naive here when you're trying to maneuver around a bad boss. There's internal politics and dirtiness sometimes in certain organizations that it can come back and hurt you. So that's why I, I always do the discreet maneuvery strategic approach around them and the person's not even not even wise okay. to your plan yeah and they don't even know they just oh you just wanted to go up the organization and make your name no i really secretly i just wanted to get the hell away from you but <laughs> yeah that works right end of the day that's what your focus has to be like you're you are basically going to work there if somebody's trying to take advantage of you in any wrong way then it's obviously important for you to be to have basically evidences first so that when no fingers are pointed at you you can actually show what who's at the wrong side and protect then protect yourself like yeah. don't like i know everyone preaches don't be selfish be a team player and that might be overall the best advice but man when it comes to dealing with narcissistic bosses you need no you need to protect yourself first you are priority your health is always number one hmm. now if i can ask you here one question uh Sabrina, i know we are coming to the end of the interview uh if you can give let's say three practical advice for people to climb the ladder of success by identifying the unwritten rules that we're talking about and that you talk about in your book as well, Work Lessons 101, right? So yeah. what can they do? Three practical tips. Um, so the very first thing is observe. Hmm. Become really good at observing what's not being said, reading a room, watching people's words versus their actions. Remember what people say. I met this one snake once and everyone loved him. My instincts came like kind of give me that like, you know, oh, something's not with him. Anyway, I started being in a lot of meetings with him and working with him a lot. And what I started to notice what he did was uh so say the senior vice president made this little speech blah, blah 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 he would remember what they said and then a week later he would almost like say the exact same thing mm. but pass it off as his idea and he kept doing this but he never backed anything with actions he was just a polished imposter a great talker a great salesman and everyone loved him but again anyone with half a brain or spends more time around these people or actually expects results from these people know that they're frauds so it all comes from observation 
first mm. and foremost, observe words versus actions because actions are the truth. Words could be bullshit. So yep. lot, some people, words come without responsibility. Learn who those people are and stay away from them and don't ever get associated with them. You can pretend like they, you know, having them think you like them is wise, but don't, you know, get guilty by association and spend too much time with them because they're not, they're people that most likely won't help you unless it helps them. So always remember where they are. And that always comes from observation. Hmm. The second thing with unwritten rules is they're never spoken about. Okay. So um, that's why I say observe, but you, you, you're best to observe and be cautious with organizations, especially really big organizations because big organizations have unwritten rules, whatever. So like the classic ones, open door policy, you know, some people like week number two, like email the CEO, <laughs> Well, that's really <laughs> stupid um, because a, the CEO is really busy and they have gatekeepers. So yeah. the biggest thing with unwritten rules, if you want to break unwritten rules, but you don't want anyone to know, is you got to point out who the influencers are in the organization. Mm -hmm. Influencers are on no org chart. So just because someone's a senior vice president doesn't mean not mean they're an influencer. They're a decision maker and they're probably a good person to have in your corner, but it doesn't mean they're influencers. Mm. If they're like the polished imposter type, I can guarantee that they're not very well respected and you won't learn that right away until you learn the rules of your organization and you've been there for a while. So the biggest thing is, is you got to pick up your influencers. So pay attention who is around the decision makers a lot. A lot of people brush off administrators or secretaries, um, but a lot of the time they can be some of the biggest influencers you know mm. they're the gate they're the gatekeeper they control yeah, they, the schedules yeah so they might be influencers and some vps respect their administrators to an extent because they've been with them for years that they consider exactly. them family and they are far more accessible than a vp so that's the people you can start to build relationships so unwritten rule number two find out who the influencers are in your organization and get on their good side um, and then the last thing about unwritten rules, um, yeah, don't break them um, ever. And if you do break them, make it out that it doesn't look like you're breaking them. So like the, if you're open door policy, you get through the open door policy by meeting the influencers, right? So um, it's a biggest, one of the biggest blunders I witnessed with people is breaking unwritten rules. Okay, so one of the unwritten rules, the classic one is learn who the off limit people are. There mm. are just every you see this a lot in family-run businesses but there's it's in the corporate world too is there's off-limit people and the, the no matter what they do nothing seems to stick to them they could be like the biggest failures of all but yet everyone thinks they're awesome these are on off-limit people and you might never learn why they're off limits like they might be off limits because they did something wicked in the past that happened before you started with the company you don't you're not aware of at this point or they might have just internal relationships going on with huge decision makers and influencers within the company so be cautious with them and don't piss them off and never ever ever under any circumstance trash talk them in public hmm. because they outrank you it doesn't matter if you're smarter than them they outrank you and the fact that even these open corp these open companies that say they don't have titles and say that there is always an unofficial rank yeah totem pole in the company there always is so don't think that there isn't because they say there isn't um if you're new you haven't proven yourself yet yeah so they outrank you so be very careful um and tread cautiously when you start to see someone that seems to have failed a few times but yet still gets continues to get promotions and still continues 
because there's something going on there and you may never know the actual truth. Um, they might just have the right connections, but they're in, but at the same time, they might be legit and you're just not seeing it because you're mm. blinded by your own prejudice. So Makes don't ever sense. think um, that you're innocent in all this because some, I've met a lot of people that think they're fantastic and they don't actually bring anything to the table. So, you know, mm. stems with self-awareness to some degree and some people yeah. just don't have it and they think everything they do is wicked. Makes sense. Perfect. Now, this is one last question that I ask almost every guest on my podcast. Sabrina, now uh, you said you have a son, right? A son, one-year-old son. Now, let's imagine uh, 20, 30 years from now, you are around 60 years old. Your kid is around 30, 35. And this is a time where you got to say goodbye to this world, right? And you could give only two advices to your son to live a life, to live a happy, fulfilling life. What those two advice are going to be? I would say living your life never wasted. So like, for example, what I, I, I hear a lot of people in their twenties, like, especially when they're in thirties, Oh, I wish I did this in my twenties. And you don't have any experience in your twenties. It's really easy to make mistakes in your twenties, <laughs> even when you're not even aware you're making them. So I think the advice I would give my son is, you know what? Your twenties are for you. For you, a hundred, well, your life's always for you, but your twenties truly dedicate to yourself. You know, your thirties may be more for your family and spouse mm. and, and stuff like that, but your twenties is for yourself and living your life is never a waste. So if you want to play video games because you damn well enjoy video games, then play video games. I'm so sick of people saying, oh, you got to work yep. and you got to chase and hustle 24 seven. That's not healthy. <laughs> That's not sustainable. True. Put some time aside for yourself, you know, and do whatever the hell you want. As long as it's not illegal or hurting anyone, like do something you want. And that's like, again, wasting a day. And when I say wasted, I put that in practice. Like it's not wasting. Just go enjoy yourself. True. Live your life. Like I, I did a lot of traveling in my 20s and I, I'm super happy I did. And I know people have told me, I wish I buckled down more in my 20s because they compare themselves to people in their 30s that are ahead of them. But I've met a lot of people in their 40s and everyone's caught up. So, yeah, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So because you crashed and burned at mile 14 does not mean you're not going to catch your next win at mile 18. So don't be too worried. Don't live in your life's never time wasted. And then the next piece of advice is forgive yourself because people are so hard and they get into this negative where they don't think they're in control and they don't think they, they've wasted time and they don't think that they can make up for it. There, mm -hmm. If you're alive and you're able, then there's always time. True. So there are people who aren't alive and who don't get to live their bright future. So be don't waste time being so hard on yourself. Forgive yourself because I've made so many mistakes. Just learn from it, reflect on it, and then move on. If it's no longer serving you, move on from it. Move on from your past. It's in the past. Don't let it impact your present and future. And I think those would be the two pieces of my advice I would give to my son is living your life's never time wasted and practice forgiveness, especially for yourself because holding those grudge grudges and holding on to regrets and not learning from them. That's actually truly wasting time. Makes sense. Awesome. So, uh, Sabrina, thank you so much for taking your time out and, uh, you know, joining us on the growth mindset podcast. I am sure the value, the wisdom you've shared with regards to work lessons as to how people can succeed in their, you know, uh, professional lives and having a nine to five job is 
okay, there's nothing wrong in you having a nine to five job. You don't have to be an entrepreneur. You don't have to hustle 24 by seven. What really matters at the end of the day is, are you really happy with the choices that you've made? So that's, that's why, you know, I really wanted to do this interview with you. So thanks so much for taking your time out and uh, take care. Thank you.